Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up, President Biden's agenda stalls in the Senate. The General Assembly reaches an agreement on spending for next year's budget, and former President Trump endorses Ted Budd in the North Carolina Senate race. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. It's Front Row with host Mark Rotterman. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation, Jay Tudari, the Democratic Minority Whip in the State Senate, Donna King, Editor-in-Chief of Carolina Journal, and Nelson Dollar, Senior Advisor and North Carolina Speaker of the House. Mitch, it appears like uh, President Biden's agenda is on hold in the U.S. Senate. To some extent, President Biden and his supporters know that now is the most opportune time to get any major transformational changes done. The closer you get to midterms, the more politics enter into any calculations. And some major items have gotten through the U.S. House of Representatives where it takes a simple majority to pass measures. It's very different in the U.S. Senate where to get anything major done, you need to have 60 votes. And Democrats have 50 votes, 51 if the vice president gets to cast a tiebreaker. And so that's meant some some tall orders for some major items like the big election overhaul, H.R. 1 or S. 1, depending on which for version the People's you call Act. it. For the People Act, which would have a, a major federal uh, influence on elections. Also, the big infrastructure package, trillion dollar plus that's been talked about in some respects. Uh, the Biden administration had been talking to Republican senators. They haven't been able to reach agreement. There was a 10-member bipartisan group, including Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, who are seen to be sort of the, the, the deal breakers on things like ending the filibuster. They came up with a, a, an infrastructure plan, but other Democrats have said, no, that one is dead in the water because it doesn't go Senator far Senator Wyden from Oregon. Senator Wyden certainly coming out saying this is a non-starter. So it's going to take a, a major shift to be able to get some of these major packages through the U.S. Senate. Janet. Uh, Jay, is uh, Manchin the kingmaker in the Senate now? Well, Manchin certainly holds outside influence um, in, the, in the United States Senate, and part of that is because it reflects West Virginia. I mean, he is not a social lawyer. He's, he's a kitchen table uh, Democrat. He is focused on uh, issues that are important to West Virginia. He's, it's important to remember that he actually voted against the tax cuts proposed by Donald Trump. He's voted against uh, repealing the Affordable Care Act, but he was also the most important vote in passing the uh, $1.9 trillion rescue package. And so I think Democrats are struggling with him uh, because he has been, uh, he's come out against the voting rights bill, but it's important to remember that he has outside influence because he's the 50th vote on a lot of issues that are important to President Biden. But will he sign on to reconciliation use think to get the infrastructure bill passed? I think it's unclear. I mean, I think one of the things that we're, we're reading about is the fact they might break up that infrastructure package into two, into two packages, one that has bipartisan support and one that doesn't. And I think that's going to be the real question. I think on infrastructure, uh, Manchin strikes me as someone that fits in that kitchen table Democrat uh, identity. This is the first big test, Nelson, for the president. He's overseas now at the G7, and he meets with Putin next week. 
Well, that's right. So when things aren't going well at <coughs> home, the best move for any president is to go abroad. <laughs> so, uh, you know, first he's uh, over meeting with uh, Boris Johnson and the Queen, the Queen of uh, Great Britain. That will be um, uh, all very warm, very receiving, because Britain wants a trade deal with the United States. So they will agree to almost anything in order to get that. If you look at the balance of the European powers, they're going to be... Uh, very much in line with uh, Joe Biden's agenda publicly, particularly on issues like climate change. But behind the scenes, Europe is very concerned okay. about the United States vis-a-vis uh, -vis the U.S.'s China policy, and they're also concerned about security. Will the U.S. long-term continue to pay for the world's security and security for trade. Donna, wrap this up in about 40 seconds. Put this in context, please. Sure. I think a lot of the folks that uh, put Biden in the White House uh, perhaps were more voting against Donald Trump, and, and they really wanted to see somebody who could bring everybody together, that could, who could negotiate on Capitol Hill, and could use that foreign policy experience. And a lot of people are still waiting to see it. And that populism that swept Donald Trump into office has really, you know, really swept the globe. And I think that that's something that he's fighting against, particularly as he goes to Europe. Okay, let's go to the General Assembly's week. Pretty big week. A uh, major week, Mark. Uh, Speaker Moore and President Pro Tem Berger agreed to a path forward on the budget, as we knew they would. Uh, general fund spending number for the first year of the budget will be $25.7 billion, or a 3.45% increase over the current year. A $26.65 billion budget for the second year of the biennium. That's a 3.65 increase in the second year. Uh, they've agreed on certain uh, parameters around the budget as well. So uh, the State Construction Infrastructure Fund will be at a minimum $4.2 uh, billion. So that means roughly $3 billion for construction in terms of universities, community colleges, zoos, museums, historic sites. Uh, also, when you consider all the storms that North Carolina uh, has had come its way over the last several years, as well as the pandemic and other shocks, the Savings Reserve Fund will be will be built back uh, by the end of the biennium to $2.7 billion. That's been agreed upon. Uh, and there's some other reserves that have been agreed to as well. Also being appropriated at the same time will be roughly $5.7 billion in federal funds. So uh, the Senate will finish the budget uh, sometime before the end of June and in a few weeks. Uh, the House by early August and then probably a couple of weeks for conference we should have a budget mid to late. August for the governor to sign. Donna, what have you been following? So we've been following these numbers very closely. And of course, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is Republicans are really using a strategy that they've used for the last decade or so um, of keeping spending low, you know, incorporating the rate of growth in population, inflation. And that formula seems to be putting North Carolina on really solid financial footing um, that allows us to do things like what he was saying, build the rainy day fund, survive hurricanes and pandemics and all these things. Um, but we're also finding that there's always consistently a surplus. Six out of the last seven years have had surplus. Uh, you know, maybe it's time to give some of it back to the taxpayers. Mr. Leader, you voted against the tax package. Tell us why. Well, I voted against the tax package because, uh, frankly, that would take away the opportunity for us to invest more in building roads and schools, in making sure that we give teacher uh, the pay that they deserve, and uh, making sure that we also um, focus on other great needs. I mean, we've got an $8 billion school infrastructure need alone, so we've got a lot of needs that haven't been met. I think we can focus on uh, tax cuts, but the problem of I'd, I've had with the tax cuts is they're not targeted enough. Well, let me ask you this. Are the votes there to override the governor's veto? Eight Democrats did vote with the Republicans. 
So, I mean, I think we have to see what happens with it when, it, when the bill goes over to the House. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's against the idea of tax cuts. The question is whether it's targeted and whether there's still going to be revenue that comes back to focus on the, the spending needs and the investments we need to make in the state going forward. Mitch, your take on the week? One of the interesting things about the Senate and House coming up with an agreement on that budget number is it opens up the floodgates on getting other things done. I think there was a brief period where both the House and Senate said, well, if you're not going to come to an agreement on the budget, we're not going to take up your bills. So a lot of bills were really stuck in committee. Now we're seeing a lot of action on a number of important issues, uh, health care issues, election issues, other things that are, that are important that have been kind of sitting to the side while the budget has been on center stage. Nelson, wrap this up in about 40 seconds, please, sir. Well, I do think you're going to see um, legislation moving forward on a number of important fronts. You saw a fairly narrow group of bills that came out of the Senate and a somewhat narrow group of bills coming out of the House relative to the, to the size of the House. Uh, there are ongoing negotiations between the chambers to make sure that we handle all of the have-to-do things and get down to those uh, contentious issues that will require uh, additional negotiation. Okay, I want to change topics. Donna? President Trump was back in North Carolina this week, last weekend, really, and uh, back on the center stage. Yes, and you saw him trying out a few key messages, of course, uh, with with Republican Party faithful. I covered the uh, the convention. The biggest news out of that convention, of course, is his endorsement of Congressman Ted Budd in the Senate primary race. Um, it was uh, it was a surprise to everybody. It appeared to be a surprise even to Bud Walker and Pat McCrory, um, uh, former congressman. Mark Walker and former Governor Pat McCrory were there uh, when that announcement was made. And um, it was interesting to see the reaction in the crowd. So the straw poll at the beginning of the convention found Mark Walker uh, to be ahead in that race. We've run polls ourselves that say Pat McCrory has got an edge. Um, now with this, how does this change the formula? It's hard to predict because you, it really is difficult to underestimate the popularity of former President Trump uh, to the Republican Party faithful. It looked like a rock concert. There were Trump hats, Trump shirts, Trump purses, you name it, all over the convention floor that night. And I think that we're really seeing the former president exercise what's going to become a kingmaker status uh, moving forward in, in conservative politics. Mitch, what struck you about the speech other than the endorsement? Well, I think the fact that he isn't talking entirely about the fact that he thinks the election in 2020 was stolen from him is a positive sign. You can't keep with that message for the next three years. It's going. not about the future. Yeah, you got to have right. to look at the future. So that that was a, an important addition to the to the agenda that he's been putting forward. I think. If he is going to run again or if he just wants to be a kingmaker for whoever is going to run again next, he has to come up with some ideas of how to get back to that theme that was so successful for him in 2016 of making America great again. Does he say make America great again again? Or uh, some people have suggested that he come up with a new hat that said I told you so and, and go with that theme. So I, I think that was important. Also, I think one of the, the pieces of this Bud uh, endorsement that we have to get out there is the fact that we now know Laura Trump is not going to run. Great and that point. is a major addition to this race because that had created an uncertainty for all the other candidates. Will she jump in and take much of the oxygen away from the room? Now that she isn't in, it really is a fight among McCrory, Walker and Bud. You know, I don't think Trump's going to get a free pass if he does run. I see Pence separated himself on the uh, insurrection on January 6th. He said he doesn't think they'll ever see eye to eye again on that issue, Nelson. 
Well, that's true, but you know, Trump always makes his base happy. And but if he is going to run again, I think he does need to get back to the working class issues, his America First message. He needs to lean forward, and he needs to focus more on his accomplishments than uh, his antagonist. And, and the other thing I would add from the convention is Bud himself, you know, Bud is from the middle of the state, respected business family with strong business ties. He beat a field of 17 candidates in a primary to get to Congress to start with. And the Club for Growth, which is a very important group, they contributed $285,000 to his initial primary campaign. They're gonna come back in. He went to Appalachian State where I went, known for beating the odds. So uh, I, I think, think this is going to be a super PAC race. Let me ask you, Jay, on your team side, who's emerging to run for Senate? Well, I think the two clear leaders are um, really Senator Jeff Jackson, uh, who has an, an incredibly large social media Where's following. He from? He's from Mecklenburg County, right. um, a former prosecutor, military, uh, for, current military veteran, as well as a state senator. And then we've got uh, Sherry Beasley, who was a former chief justice of the North Carolina State Supreme Court, who just announced uh, after Senator Jackson came out. And I really think that we're going to see uh, a real battle between the two of them. You know, Donna, I really just think this is a name ID race right now between Bud and McCrory and Walker. It's not clear to me, though, that Walker has the money to, uh, to uh, really put a campaign together sure. at this point. Sure. Well, if he's got Donald, if Bud has Donald Trump fundraising for him and traveling for him and campaigning for him, that's going to change the equation dramatically uh, because he's really pinpointing a few candidates across the country where he's going to test out this new role. Uh, and it sounds like ground zero is really Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Trump's super PAC is involved in this race. Okay, Jay, I want to talk to you. There was an interesting pro proposal by Senator Bergen this week about legislative reform. Fill us in. Yeah, so Senator Jim Bergen, a true gentleman and uh, someone who commands great respect, bipartisan respect in the chamber, uh, filed a bill this session that would address an issue that a lot of lawmakers want to stay as far as possible from, and that's the idea of legislative pay. And uh, Senator Bergen's got a very creative idea, that is to uh, make sure that you've got five, me eight members of the public that um, decide independently on addressing a few issues. One is legislative pay, the other is term limits, and the other is the length of terms that House and Senate members um, serve. And from Senator Bergen's perspective, it's, it's similar to the idea of an independent legislative uh, redistricting commission in the sense that the legislature may be self-serving, so it's better to turn this, these ideas over to uh, a third party. Uh, Senator Bergen has said that a lot of his constituents think that legislators make six-figure salaries and we work full-time when, in fact, we make uh, around $14,000 a year. And so uh, I think he's got a really creative idea. I think the question is whether it gains any traction uh, in the chamber. That's a great question. Does it have legs, Nelson? It's difficult. I tried to sponsor a bill that was just the per diem and the mileage and got hammered for it. So I think, uh, uh, as Jay is saying, uh, Senator Bergen is uh, highly respected, and, and I hope that it does work. You know, in the House, we are more uh, open now. We are televising sessions, more accessible on the website for the House and the Senate. Uh, the rules in both chambers are far more open, and legislators today have far more time to actually read the bills than they did before. But here's the problem. The General Assembly has one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock. We're not a true citizen legislature, and we're not a professional legisl legislature either, as, as Jay mentioned, on pay. And we need to choose. I think the most needed reform in the General Assembly is session limits. Limit the time, like 
Virginia, Florida, Texas, uh, who all have sessions between 60 and 140 days, the, op the opportunity to limit those sessions, and then they can have special sessions for the budget and the like if they need them. But I think that, you know, get the work done and go home, and we need those constrictors, I think, in North Carolina. Mitch, what strikes you about this proposal, this legislation? One of the most interesting things about it that's been alluded to is the fact that it does take some of the decision-making process out of the legislators' hands because even if this is a, a great idea and our legislators are underpaid and should be paid much more based on the amount of work they do, a lot of people are going to look th at this and say, yeah, you're just giving yourselves more money. If someone else, and I believe everyone who serves on this commission, cannot be an elected official, if people who are outside of the government class say, look, these people need to get paid more, I think that will carry a lot more weight than legislators saying it about themselves. Donna? I think the important thing to know is that, as, as you said, they make, you know, $13,000, $14,000 a year, which means you're really limiting who can run. You have to be independently wealthy or retired, and that's not a real cross-section of who we are as North Carolinians. Um, and, and only four states pay less than North Carolina, and none of those have, um, uh, none of those have these open-ended sessions. They all have session limits. So you really either pay them more or ask less of them in terms of actual days in session. Jay, close this out in about 40 seconds, my friend. Well, I, th I, you know, I think Nelson is right. I mean, I think one of the solutions is really looking at legislative session limits, because we're one of only seven states in the country that doesn't have legislative session limits. I think it's very difficult for legislators to raise their pay, because it's essentially political suicide. And so I think the best way to go about it is to really limit the amount of work we do, like, other, like our, many of our southern states do. Do it in a non-election year. Okay, let's go to the most <laughs> underreported story of the week, Mitch. Eric Holder, who is the former U.S. Attorney General under Barack Obama, has gotten very involved in the issue of redistricting. He leads a group called the National Redistricting Action Fund that wants to change the way people draw uh, election maps across the country. They have come out with a new campaign that says billionaires shouldn't be buying elections. One of the things that they're not emphasizing is the fact that much of the money that goes to the National Redistricting Action Fund comes from not just a billionaire, a foreign billionaire, a Swiss billionaire named Hans-Jörg Weiss, who has contributed a lot of money to that group, $3 million in recent years. He is responsible to, for about 40% of that group's budget in 2018, a quarter of its budget the following year. So apparently the message is billionaires shouldn't buy elections, but foreign billionaires should tell us how we should run our elections. Everybody deserves an opportunity. Yeah. Jay, most underreported story? So uh, according to Axios, uh, criminals may have stolen more, uh, almost half of the unemployment benefits the United States has pumped uh, into the economy during this past pa pandemic. Uh, About $400 billion. $400 billion, that's what they be. And uh, that makes it, and this is because of potential foreign criminal syndicates. So that makes it not only a fraud issue, but a national security issue. As we all know, um, states are really unprepared to dealing with uh, administering unemployment benefits because they didn't have uh, the proper technology that was outdated. So I think it really presents a challenge for the states and the federal government to make sure that they have the technology to combat that kind of fraud. Think that number will go up over 400 billion? I mean, I hope not. Okay, Donna, under reported, please. Uh, well, there's an election integrity bill that's being considered in the United States Senate, and one of the one of the characteristics of it is it would fund mobile voter ID. Uh, units. So you have trouble getting an ID, we will bring it to you. It's it's a vehicle that would come around and help people get an identification that they might need uh, to go vote. And I think that's a really interesting kind of innovative way to approach this issue. Does it have legs, Nelson? 
That's a good question. <laughs> I, you know, it's uh, like all good, great ideas that are not always appreciated. And <laughs> a reporter, please. Uh, Green's challenging uh, green energy projects, uh, the Battleborn Solar Project, 14 square mile project in the Mojave Desert uh, is being challenged over concerns for the desert tortoise and the view. Uh, Biden, of course, a major supporter of wind projects, but recently canceled two politically unpopular wind projects offshore in New York and New Jersey. Fishermen are still opposing the largest wind project that's been approved thus far, the Vineyard Wind Project up out of Massachusetts. Uh, of course, the soaring demand for lithium and rare, rare metals and the need for double the current number of transmission lines if you're going to go green are also uh, raising concern and opposition among some uh, environmental groups. Good news. Um, Wyoming announced uh, their first natrium modular nuclear reactor. These are safer, scalable plants. Uh, they store energy in molten salt, and they can run 100% of capacity con uh, constantly. In the infrastructure bill, and I'm changing topics just a little bit, there's a lot of money for, for green, the Green New Deal in there, isn't there? There's quite a bit of money, but you know the deal that they put on the table, as Mitch said, uh, by the bipartisan group, $1.2 billion, that money was rejected. There's what, $700 billion from the, from the COVID relief in that bill? Yes, there's some repurposing of funds uh, that, that are there that are in the system and are, and are currently not being used, plus additional funds. So those would be spent out uh, in that project uh, over the course of 1.2. Uh, over the course of seven years. The other interesting thing is the Senate parliamentarian ruled this week that, um, that they are not going to be able to use reconciliation just to run through and pass all of these bills. So again, Joe Manchin and some of the, the moderate senators are in the driver's seat. Yeah, but Joe Manchin is covered for a lot of moderate senators too, don't you think? I think some agree with him, but they just won't come forward. Well, I think that's right. I think you saw that when they tried to overrule the parliamentarian on the $15 minimum wage, and you had a number of senators that did actually vote not to overrule, Democrat senators that voted not to overturn uh, the parliamentarian's ruling. Okay, let's go to lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? Who's up? People who would like to teach in school but don't want to have to go through that long education school process. There's a bill, Senate Bill 582. It's had unanimous approval in the Senate and the House. It would create something called adjunct instructors. After only a semester of classes at a community college, you'd be able to teach a class in your degree, either your bachelor's degree or graduate degree. My who's down? Those new, con or actually what's down? New controversial social study standards for the K-12 schools in a bill that uh, got through the House on a 74 to 34 vote, those standards would be delayed a year. Jay, who's up and who's down this week, my friend? So the lottery, I know this has been discussed last week's episode. The Governor Cooper's announced an effort to roll out $4 million in summer cash drawings to get more fit folks vaccinated. Any North Carolinian that's 18. I should have waited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any North Carolinian 18 years or above would qualify for one of the four $1 million prizes. That'll go from uh, early June to, to early August. Uh, this is something that the Vaximillion okay. has worked in Ohio, and now we're bringing it to North Carolina. And so who's down? Uh, Cornell University. So Cornell University evidently sought to evaluate how legislators would respond to constituent emails by sending fictitious emails. Uh, my Senate colleague Warren Daniels was not happy about that, so he amended a House bill that said that one could bring a lawsuit if it was a business, university, or nonprofit that sent a fictitious email. And so I would say that the Cornell Big Red is down. Donna, who's up and who's down this week? 
take place. So, up, I'm going to say women, maybe in the draft, the United States Supreme Court is considering a uh, case right now um, that would would require that would stop only men from being required to register for selective service it would it theoretically include women uh it depends on how the decision comes out but basically it was brought by the aclu who says that um requiring only men implies that women can't serve in this way or that men aren't able to stay home in the event of a draft either way we haven't had a draft since vietnam so i'm not sure how how realistic it is that this will ever be enacted my down is north face i've dressed my kids in it for years but apparently there is a hashtag thank you North Face Twitter campaign because they refuse to make jackets okay. for an oil and petroleum company, even though they're the largest buyer of those products. Quickly, Nelson, who's up and who's down this week? Uh, up El Salvador became the first country to adopt Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency as legal tender. Uh, so with the barriers broken, I would expect uh, a number of nations in Central, South America, Africa to soon follow. Their citizens really don't trust the banks, uh, okay. but this will allow them to use their phone apps to buy, sell, and pay bills. Who's down? The value of your money, inflation continues to rise rapidly, up 5% uh, year over year in May, the highest in 13 years. Annual prices are soaring last three months, 9.7%. Uh, so okay. the Fed thinks it's temporary, but there is a long-term uh, risk for inflation. Mitch, headline next week, my friend. Bipartisan Senate vote on tax cut could force Cooper's hand on veto. Jay, headline. For the 2022 election state, Senate Republicans want election integrity and state Senate Democrats want voter access and they can't agree. So what happens? Uh, we'll, we'll, stalemate? I think it'll be a stalemate um, and possibly a governor veto. Donna, headline and next week? I think week. the legislature's going to be talking a lot about academic transparency, particularly as kids wrap up this very difficult school year. Headline next week? Love fest in Europe, anger in Washington. Why do you say angry in Washington? Because the parliamentarians ruling in the Senate, the progressives are furious right now. They're just okay. not going to be able to get their agenda. All right. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.